Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. meeting is being recorded. Hey, thanks for stopping by for another episode of the Gonzo Chronicles and awesome. Today we have Elizabeth Cooper back. Elizabeth, you've been on vacation. Your show's been on hiatus. How's everything going? You're back. Everything's going really well. You know, it's just busy. It's been all the way around busy between the kids and work and companies and the show has taken a little bit of a backseat like it usually does in the summertime because with the kids at home, you know, I try to schedule all these great camps and I'm like, okay, they're all out of the house, not realizing I'm the taxi driver. So <laughs> the taxi driver's always on call and you get the kids out to the camp and you're like, great, I have a couple hours this morning and they forgot their lunch. And oh, it's water day for my grandson. So I got to get a bathing suit and run it over. And then before you know it, it's time to go pick him up. So that's kind of how the past couple of weeks have been, but made it up kind of in your direction. We went to Pigeon Forge and we were camping the other week. Yeah. I, um, Pigeon Forge, I've been there a ton of times growing up because it's probably about a four, four and a half hour drive. Once you get off the interstate there before Knoxville at Sevierville, the traffic is so bad that um, unless you know some back ways around or somewhere else you're going in the area, oh, it's 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 terrible. But it's a good time. So uh, I guess the family had a good time. I saw a video. You guys did some canoeing or what, what paddle boating? Um, so that was the camping trip before that. We took a Memorial Day weekend camping trip and we went to Margaritaville of Lake Lanier. Lake Lanier in Georgia is always a big topic of conversation because all the local people will not go there because it is known to be haunted. All and right. they're actually making a movie. I believe the movie is called Lake Lanier. Um, and the crazy story about that, it is our reservoir. And Sidney Lanier in the 1950s created the dam, which is the very, very uh, opening point. I, guess, I don't know exactly how to say it, but it's the beginning of the Chattahoochee River. And that's right down the street from where I live. So anyway, when he created this reservoir, there's actually a little town underneath Lake Lanier. There's a cemetery, there's church, there's housing. There's all types of things that was flooded and the reservoir was created. So when we went through a severe drought, I think it was like in 2006, seven, eight, we had really dry winters and really dry summers. 
and you could actually see the steeple of the church at one point in the reservoir. But um, I, you know, for I own a construction and maintenance company here in Buford, Georgia, and we have some local people that work for us. Some of them are fishermen and they're like, man, that thing is so haunted. I have been out there fishing and the fog will rise up and you will see faces in the fog. And that's what one guy said. And we're like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And so we asked another guy and we're like, hey, do you think Lake Lanier is haunted? And he's like, oh my gosh, yes. When the fog rises up, you see faces. And I'm like, what? So there's always, unfortunately, a lot of deaths every year um, in Lake Lanier. The other issue they're having, I believe, which causes some of the deaths is around the marina, there's a lot of electrical lighting. So it is, um, I guess, sort of theory, they really haven't proved it. But if you swim too close into the marina and the boardwalks, you can get electrocuted while swimming. No, wow. causes a full body paralysis and you drown. Um, So it's really lots of crazy stories. If you like the haunted stuff, look up Lake Lanier of Georgia. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because um, probably late last year, late fall, uh, I picked up this book on Amazon called The Haunted Lakes of Georgia. And um, I, I come to find out that either there's Although of all the lakes in Georgia, they're all man-made, or maybe there's one that's a natural lake or something. But, um, and that was so. I read, the, so I got this book, and um, it was a little bit more academic than I thought. I was like, "Hey, this is going to be some great stories." Well, it really wasn't written in that vein, and it was a lady from a university who wrote it, uh, just about the history of the lakes that were built there and how they flooded towns and things like that. And I thought, well, that'd be really cool. So. Um, I invited her onto the show to talk about the book anyway. And, but she didn't want to talk about like a real ghosty haunted angle. She was going to be more academic and I was going to be okay with that. But I think just because of the kind of the strange nature of some of the topics we talked about, she, she gave me a soft pass and uh, she was polite about it, but um, it's a really interesting book. And if I, if I can remember her name, I'll, I'll look the book up again and I'll post it um, on the uh, Gonzo Chronicles Facebook page. If anybody wants to look at it. Uh, but it's really fascinating stuff. But I'm not surprised that you would you would hear stories, and I'm going to look up Lake Lanier. That may be an interesting topic to have, um, and maybe some locals who have seen some things. You can find anything on Reddit. People put these stories up on Reddit all the time. Oh, all the time. And there are so many people that love to fish that have said, "Oh yeah, we've hooked bodies before." That yeah. they'll just yeah they'll just go out on the lake, and you know they're people find bodies all the time it's really strange now i live near a lake it's a little little distance from here i used to live about 10 minutes from it and um it's uh, south holston lake which crosses virginia into tennessee so it's a pretty pretty big lake about 24 miles and they flooded a lot of that too and the rumor was i don't know how true this is but when they when they built the lake and they flooded everything there that they thought they had moved, exhumed all the caskets, but some were popping up and floating on top of the water. And they had to get all that cleaned up before they could make it available for people to, I guess, use the lake for recreational purposes. But it's a big, you know, it's a big draw around here. People go down there for the weekend. They'll have uh, campers or cabins and, you know, skiing, things like that, fishing, a lot of fishing, I guess. 
But I've never really heard of anything terribly haunted down there. But Lake Lanier, that might be a road trip. <laughs> Actually, that might be worth a road trip. I think a big road trip and movie um, review. You know, I'm going to look that up right now. Uh, Lake Lanier movie. Um, but yeah, it's supposed to come out pretty soon. I don't think that it's hung up with any of the family because I'm pretty sure all of the really closely related family, here it is, to Sydney Lanier, they've all passed away, I believe. Um, yeah, it's called Lanier, inspired by true events. So it's LanierMovie.com is where you can read more about it. How crazy. But the rumor here is also that, you know, oh, it would be the bodies popping up from the, the graveyard. And I'm thinking, no, they exhumed most of that. And many of those graves were of people that passed away at the turn of the century. So late 1800s and before and maybe early 1900s, that's all going to be bones. You're, you're not actually going to have a flesh contained body from that type of grave. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. A lot of, you know, missing people reports and then they, they find a body, but you know, become so bloated. You can't really tell who it is kind of a thing. It's, it's quite interesting. That's, that's heartbreaking for families. You have to get through that, I imagine, but um, certainly adds to some local lore. And I was looking up, ironically, we'll, we could do another show on this later on, but I was looking up some local legends in your neck of the woods down there, and I come across a really interesting haunted bridge. And ironically, they, there's a movie made on that as well. So I'm, I may go watch that movie. Uh, and they filmed it right there at that location as well. What's the movie called? Do you remember? Uh, I think it's called like Spook Bridge or something like that. Um, that's what the bridge was called. The movie may have been called something else. I'll have to look it up. I'll send it to you. But it would look really kind of cool. I was like, well, all right. There's some haunted little bridge uh, near you. So I hope you're <laughs> yes. not jogging on that one. <laughs> um, if, if you're running on that with jogging, that would haul ass when you get to that point. But um, <laughs> I, would, I would not want to be stuck on that one. But uh, I, I read some interesting things on Reddit about it. Just a couple of things. I didn't take a lot of time to look into it, but it looked like an interesting story. So. You know, it is. And there's so many stories of hauntings and it's it's worldwide. People will say, oh, yes, you know, I've heard this or I've seen this or it. Um, it really gets you wondering, doesn't it? You know, yeah. about the different planes. Like, it, are we just existing on one plane of existence and at another vibration? There's another plane of existence, which is why there's a crossover and possibly we can see and we can hear because we're actually vibrating somewhat similarly, but not exactly. Um, I've always wondered that. I wrote a, a, a short thesis in college about that. And my professor said, this is really spooky, but interesting. <laughs> did Einstein actually kind of theorize on some of that as well? I think he did, yes. Um, so that gives a lot of credence right there. If that's something he's willing to entertain and think through its... Uh... Yeah, I think a lot of people have written that that's a very strong possibility, but I, I don't know. I only live on mm -hmm. one plane. Now, right. I, wake, now, I mean, in 2000, we woke up, in, or 2020, we woke up, thought we were in the twilight zone, but um, with, yeah. with COVID. But, uh, you know, it's a crazy world. And then in some regards, Elizabeth, we're still in the twilight zone. 
we're going to talk about the, the the mystery of missing foods. Disappearing. Yeah, oh, I'm going to have to rack my brain. Over. Okay. Mystery uh, of missing foods. So you're talking like good and fruity. What happened to good and fruity? I Do you remember good and fruity? I, I, I vaguely remember good and fruity. Wasn't it those like you would tear those things off? No, um, it was the like sister to good and plenty. So good and plenty is li licorice. Good oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Fruit flavor. And it just like disappeared and it had in the center, it was the red licorice instead of the black licorice and it was candy coated and they were all, oh my gosh, loved them. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of foods that used to be out there that are no longer there. Um, can you find those Jello pudding pops anymore or is it just because it's so closely associated with Bill, Bill Cosby that they don't want to make them? Um, are they Gone? Are you being serious right now? Jello pudding I, I don't pop think I've gone? I don't think I've seen a Jello pudding pop in five years. What? And it's bad enough that some of the things that we go in to look for on the shelves are gone, but like uh, the shortage of the, the baby formula, and now right. no one can find Jif peanut butter anywhere. You have to settle for whatever What's else. Is peanut butter. Uh, there was a recall of something on Jif, uh, and. Um, but now it's literally nowhere. I've, I've looked in several different locations. I can find other peanut butter, but I just can't find Jeff anywhere. Okay. Well, you know what? We've had that a couple of times. Um, I don't know if that's countrywide, but I know, especially here in Georgia, we've, we've had several peanut uh, recalls. I believe, isn't it? Listeria is the bacteria that... Uh, if they don't clean well enough in the factory, you can have a, a listeria bacteria in your peanuts. Yeah. I think that is. Yeah, and I love eating peanuts. Like uh, even in the shells, I'll break. I've got back and just break the shells and eat eat that. Um, oh my gosh, this is breaking my heart, Cyrus. I googled this while we're talking. The first thing that came up, and I used to love these things. Kudos. The kudos, totally crap, totally candy granola bars. Do you remember those? Yeah. They're gone? Yeah, they're gone. They're gone. Oh, that's shocking. <laughs> it's not like people weren't eating those. Those are very popular, weren't they? Right. Okay. I've never heard of this one, but Haagen-Dazs ice cream in the black walnut flavor. I don't think I've ever had that. Wild cherry jello? No, I think I have a box of wild cherry jello. Now, I can't promise that it's any younger than 10 years old. Oh, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Do you ever open up a cabinet and go to clean it out and you find things that you should have thrown out like, you know, five, 10 years ago? It's like... All the time. Let me tell you something. So my parents are so frugal. This has become an expedition, an event of when we go see my parents and they're, they're whacked out there. I mean, they're, they're way out there, but my mother and father will hold on to everything for an eternity. They look at an expiration date as a suggestion, not as we need to get rid of this. So I've gone through their freezer. Number one, they freeze cheese. I don't know why they freeze cheese, but they do. I have found cuts of meat that were at least 12 years old. 
And I'm like, guys, no, like this is not a thing. We don't do this. And then any dry, you know, anything that you find in the middle of the grocery store, that's just eternal. So none of that gets thrown away ever. There's uh, a jar of sauerkraut. And here's how bad it is. My father built in their basement, sort of like this bunker pantry. (laughs) And they have extra water that is stored in huge Chianti bottles. Now, I'm the only one that went down there and said, wait, this is a problem. When you have 25 Chianti bottles of water, who drank all that? (laughs) Because my mother doesn't drink. So so my father sits there with his little tiny cup of wine. He he enjoys that every night. But, I mean, this jar of sauerkraut was discolored. And I'm like, what is the date? We had to blow the dust off of it, could barely read it. And it was from the 90s. And I'm like, this, this, no, this is not a thing, guys. This can't be. But we have to throw it out in secret. They will go dumpster diving for it just in case, you know, maybe they're going to celebrate 2030 with a hot dog and they've got to have some horrible sauerkraut on top of it. They need that. Wow. Wow. (laughs) You know, I I know in like time's going to pass, a lot of people are doing canning and things like that. And people are trying to learn that more and more. And you're going to talk a little bit about some of the history of these of foods over the ages you were sharing this article with me but i wanted to read a couple of things because there was there's so much talk now about possible food shortages and you see people on facebook talking about it and learning how to can and save like like your like your parents did your grandparents did um my granny pruitt would she would cook in the same grease over and over she had the kind of stove where you could just kind of scrape it over and then heat it up and i'm like Ooh. Like, how do you not have a heart attack? She would eat bacon. She would have a bacon sandwich with bacon on the side every morning and probably an egg, right? She lived to be in her mid-90s, so apparently the genes are pretty good. So uh, that wasn't killing her. So she would, so I thought, well, yeah, she got she got into canning and had a lot of stuff that on the shelves that she would open up from years earlier. Um, I, I never touched it. I was a little afraid, right? <laughs> But uh, she took at it with, hey, she made it through the Great Depression and World War II. God bless her, right? (laughs) So she thinks she can tackle that, I'm sure. They beat the Nazis in the Depression, so she could be in a a jar of whatever that is, (laughs) right? That was on the shelf, like probably beets or something. I saw a meme recently, and it was exactly to that point. It was, um, you know, just a, a, I can't remember if it was a cartoon or real picture of an older lady at one of those older stoves that I actually had in the house that we grew up in. It was an old Victorian house and it had a wood burning stove. Yeah. And you know, she's, you know, there and she's cooking, you can see her with the iron cast iron pot and she's cooking up some bacon. And it was saying pretty soon the younger generation is going to understand why grandma always kept the bacon grease. Yeah. And I mean, they knew how to put things together. My grandmother knew how to take one chicken and she'd feed herself and my mother um, for a week. I mean, she'd use every little bit of that chicken before it was thrown out. Yeah. I mean, there's broth that you would make and have soup or whatever. Like, yeah. My, my granny would waste nothing. Right. And I think a lot of that came from 
going through the depression and being just in poverty. And, uh, and I mean, they were so poor. They didn't know they were poor. They didn't know there was a depression. You know, that was, that was kind of the situation she was in. And, uh, you know, she kind of lived frugally her whole life like that. Now I will say that she did splurge in later life on rings because you could hear her coming down the hall from all the clanking of the rings when you'd knock <laughs> on her door. I think she thought she was the female version of Liberace. Wow. Uh, she would play the piano and sing. Not really great, but it was adorable because it was an old lady, right? With all the rings. But it's like, that was the only thing in life she ever splurged on. It's like all those, all those rings and baskets. But, um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of memes going around Facebook, like you said, about, about that. And um, also the other thing you hear about is uh, some of these plants and food processing plants catching fire. Well, you don't want to believe everything you hear on the internet. So I go looking it up. <laughs> and here's an article. This is from May 23rd. And this is from NPR, nationalpublicradio.org. And this is an article by Robert Griffiths. And the headline says, with food prices climbing, the UN is warning of crippling global shortages. And I'll just read a little bit of this to you. Uh, fears of global food crisis are growing due to the shock of the war in Ukraine, climate change, and rising inflation. Kristalina G, uh, G, oh, Georgieva, I'm butchering the shit out of that, <laughs> the International Monetary Fund Managing Director, told the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland on Monday that the anxiety about access to food at a reasonable price globally is hitting the roof as food prices continue to go up, up, up. Uh, the UN estimates uh, that in the past year, global food prices have risen by almost one-third, fertilizer by more than half, the, and the oil prices by almost two-thirds. According to UN figures, and this is actually kind of scary, the number of severely food insecure people has doubled in the past two years from 135 million pre-pandemic to 276 million today. Now more than half a million people are experiencing famine conditions, according to the UN, an increase of more than 500 percent since 2016. And it goes on to talk a little bit about what's going on in Ethiopia and so forth. And um, yeah, just a little bit about global warming, things like that. But there's so much going on out there. Um, even in China, prices of fresh vegetables are 24% higher than a year ago. Now, on your show, you and I have talked about um, just the fact that what's going on in Russia and Ukraine, that's a huge part of the world where we have so much grain and wheat. Right. And Russia is the world's leading exporter of fertilizer. So if fertilizer is that expensive and they're not shipping it out to the West because the West is helping Ukraine by funding funding them and providing weapons, um, if farmers can't get that, that, that product, then we're obviously going to see a decline in the amount of food. Now, we'll always probably have food here in America, but it's those third world countries that are going to suffer the most. We'll pay out the nose for food probably, and we'll probably still have some shortages, but that's scary. Are you seeing a lot of this on Facebook and Twitter and social media in general? Well, actually, I'm not so much on social media or anything like that. I'm actually seeing it in day-to-day -day life with, you know, real time. Um, there are, in my area, we, we're in a nice suburb, I would have to say about 45, 50 minutes north of Atlanta. Um, and we're seeing a lot of home gardening. 
there's one town over from me. It's a very small town. It's called Sugar Hill. They have a community garden at one of our local parks. It is jam-packed full. Every space is taken and these big, beautiful gardens are growing. Um, so I think, you know, I'm definitely seeing that. I think a lot of people are learning how to have those small square foot gardens. Um, if not growing, you know, larger crops and just taking up some of their yard in their backyard, whatever they have, uh, potted plants and growing things. Uh, the biggest problem we have in Georgia with being able to grow two things, really. Our soil is red clay, so we don't have very rich, fertile soil. So we have to till those. That takes the ingredients you're talking about. Um, and then animals. <clears throat> We are rampant with deer and squirrels, raccoons the size of dogs. I mean, they, if you put a gate around your garden, that raccoon's gonna open it with its, you know, all five digits and just wander in with his cup of coffee and go, I'll take those tomatoes, I'll take a zucchini. And before you know it, it's all gone. Um, but I'm also seeing it in the grocery stores. The grocery stores have become very quiet for the summertime. Summertime is, again, we're very close to Lake Lanier. That's a huge draw for people that want to go to the parks that are all the way around Lake Lanier. They're beautiful parks for picnics, go boating. I am seeing way less people. Um, I'm seeing more people check out with food stamps in front of me. And I'm also seeing a lot more coupons including myself. I've decided to go back to some of my couponing days of when I had five little kids in the house and only two of them were school aged. Um, so that takes a lot of the snacks, a lot of the foods, it's a big cost. So I was using a website called southernsavers.com. And if you're in the Southeast, Southern Savers is awesome. They do all the math for you. And, and, you know, you find like you can buy boxes of pasta one week and it equates to like 52 cents a box, you know, things like that. So I'm definitely finding people being more frugal with those day-to-day -day expenses, uh, less cars on the road and um, more gardens. Yeah. I uh, have new neighbors and they put up a privacy fence, but I'm kind of like that guy from, uh, was it home improvement? The neighbor, like, you can see like my eyes, and I'm like, howdy, neighbor, you know. Wilson. But I can see, I can see from my kitchen window that they're they're putting out those little uh, large square blocks, or they're putting in to grow uh, at some point something. Um, and good, good for them. But I've noticed even at the grocery store, like you said, some of the produce doesn't even look that great. Um, some of the fruits. I mean, the, I love gala apples, but I haven't seen gala apples very much. Uh, even the yellow apples, are they called what they call gold delicious or whatever? Um, I've found the green apples, but I haven't found those in the last four trips to the grocery, and they're hard to find. So people tend to go down to Walmart to find some of those things because some of the other grocers aren't getting them. And I love snacking on cucumbers. I'll slice those up, and I cannot find a decent cucumber. Uh, and then when I do, it's just like just one out of a small batch now. And I wanted my, I love fresh garden green beans where you could go pick through, put, put them in your bag and, and then go check out. But uh, even that I've not seen in the grocery stores and not all of them, but like the two main ones I go to, I haven't seen in two years, probably. 
Yeah. You know, when I was growing up and my mother was grocery shopping, there would always be a season. You wouldn't find watermelons and cantaloupes and berries and all that in the middle of winter and vice versa with other fruits and produce. I think we're probably going to be seeing that where our um, distribution of these things, the radius is going to have to get smaller and probably more local, which means that we're going to go back to the way it was in the 80s and the 90s of you find those cuts of meats and you find a plethora of certain fruits and vegetables when it's peak season for those things. But I think for this year, and I hate to be pessimistic, but I always try to look a little bit into the future and, and try to gauge based off of what is happening today and what should I ideally plan for in the near future? So let's talk about Thanksgiving. I believe by Thanksgiving, we may really be feeling the biggest impact of not being able to find really fresh fruits and vegetables, just like we are now. You know, I agree with you. Everything I see here seems like it is older when it first, first hits the shelf than what it was a year ago or two years ago, you know, those green bananas were coming in really green. Now, by the time they hit the shelf today, they're already ready to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And same, same thing here, or you'll get uh, bananas that like the whole batch of them sitting in the store, the black streaks on them, they're little, kind of a little old, actually. It's like, you, you don't want, you don't want that unless you're going to just go home and eat them that day or the next. Or banana pudding. Yeah. <laughs> you banana. know what I got? Because I, the only one that really likes bananas, and, and bananas have a, a high sugar co- count, so I content. So I don't eat bananas very often, um, but my grandson loves them. So I always make sure that I do have bananas, but they've been going bad so fast. Did you know that Dolly Parton has a cake mix out, a banana pudding cake mix? No, banana pudding is actually my favorite dessert. Me too. I love love it. And so I picked up her cake mix and I'm like, maybe I'll make some muffins with these older bananas. And then I'll just keep a couple of muffins out and freeze the rest of them. I did that with a zucchini cake because, you know, to your point, the produce is looking a little old in the grocery store. So I've been buying things locally and I go to our farmer's market that we have. And man, for $3, I got a ton of zucchini the other week. So I made this chocolate zucchini cake. It is to die for. It is so moist. It's really great. The kids like it, which is a good bonus because that means I'm not the only one eating it. And I made two and I froze one. I took that thing out of the freezer. It was like even more moist. I don't know how that happened, but it was so good. So these things, when you put fruits and vegetables into them, they freeze really well. Yeah. Well, all right. I'm going to, uh, I'll have to try that. Yeah. Another thing that's, this is scary, Elizabeth, on Facebook and on uh, Twitter, I'm seeing more and more people saying that, hey, how many of these food processing plants are going to be burning down? And again, I said, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to believe that, you know, people say all kinds of things, you know, but I looked it up and um, I found an interesting article and this is from uh, the Geller Report. And this is a, let's see, by Jim Hoft the, from the Gateway Pundit. And this came out on June 11th, so it's a couple of weeks ago. 
Um, it says here the headline. Here's a here's the updated list of U.S.-based food manufacturing plants that have been destroyed in the last year and a half. Right. So obviously, this the Gateway pundit is no fan of Joe Biden. So I kind of want to take the you know the the bias out of it. However, they have confirmed here, according to the USDA, U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, that there's no, uh, well, currently there's no nationwide food shortages in the country. Although uh, in some cases, the inventory of certain foods at your grocery store might be temporarily low before stores can restock. Um, according to their website, food production and manufacturing are widely dispersed throughout the U.S. And currently there's no widespread disruptions. However, they do provide a list of America's 95 plants that have been destroyed, damaged, or impacted by accidental fires, disease, or general causes. And they've got a list of the dates, where they were at, how much was destroyed. Um, and for example, here on June or uh, January 11th of 21, a fire that destroyed a 75,000 square foot processing plant in Fayetteville. And there's links in there where you can click and go to whatever local paper that may have had it. Uh, April 30th of 21, a fire ignited inside the Smithfield Foods for a, a pork processing plant in Monmouth, Illinois. Here's a Kellogg plant in Memphis, a Tyson River Valley ingredients plant in Alabama. And the list goes on and on and on. I'm just scrolling and scrolling. And uh, finally, down to 95, the last one they reported, according to this, was June 9th of this year, two, three weeks ago, uh, irrigation water was canceled in California, which is the number one producer of food in the U.S., and uh, storage water flushed directly out to the Delta. Um, so that actually put a halt on a lot of uh, production and food out there. Um, there's a Purina feed mill in Arcola on June 8th that was destroyed. Uh, June 7th, there was a fire at JBS meat packing plant in Green Bay. So I guess the question is, how often do these fires happen? 95, it seems like a lot of fires and things to shut down. It's yeah, that seems like a lot. And that's a short period of time. You know, you were reading off things. I caught a couple of 2021 dates and then more recently, just a couple of weeks ago. So why did those fires occur is where my brain's going. You know, it, were they set? Was it electrical? Was the electrical tampered with? Is this potentially a form of terrorism? You know, homeland terrorism. We've got a lot of people here that we don't know who they are, where they're coming from, who funded them to get here. And I'm surprised that we're not more focused on that. And I know you don't get too heavy into politics. I normally don't either, but I'm just going to put that out there, you know. It's uh, it's a theory. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, our borders are wide open. We're, more people are crossing than ever in history. And right. the borders are pretty well contained a couple of years ago, whether you liked Trump or not. The borders were fairly well contained. I mean, not, not leak proof, but you know, more or less. And now we're taking so many people. There's another caravan of like 8,000 coming up from Central America that's supposed to cross this fall. And you know, a lot of people don't think, I mean, I understand why people want to come here. 
but our our homeland security and then I guess our border patrol, border patrol caught, I think something like fifteen guys in one group that were actually wanted on the terrorist international terrorist list. They came across, and they'll probably go to Gitmo unless somebody just releases them back into the wild, like like they have been doing. Basically, mm-hmm. it's scary. We don't know who's coming across. In the instances of a lot of those fires, uh, there was a good number that were set. So who's setting them? Exactly. And, and who's making money off of it? I mean, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories that could pop up. Like, you don't have 95 food processing plants that suddenly in the last year and a half either get partially destroyed or shut down or fully destroyed on top of what the FDA does to regulate, shut things down on a regular basis for inspection. And then now you have the UN calling for global food shortages. It seems like this just doesn't happen by accident. It's like inflation doesn't happen by accident, you know. Right. It doesn't happen by accident. And, you know, I'd have to say I'm not thankful at all that we had another pandemic. But I always look for, you know, what have we learned? And I believe that one of the things that, everybody was forced to learn was a little bit of that make do, you know, when all the paper products were gone, there was just no way that you're going to get a paper towel. If you were out at your house, you know, within a reasonable amount of time without going to the grocery store at 5am waiting for the truck with your mask on, they only limited 20 people in this giant store at a time, you know, and uh, that's, that's what we were going through. And, so I think now to go to the grocery store, and like you said, these plants are impacted. Uh, we've had bird flu with chicken. Tyson was shut down for a while. They're now back up and running. It, we're a little bit more conditioned to see that shelves are empty. So I would hope that people are paying attention and realizing that they do have to make do. They have to find other sources for things because the convenient way that we've had for years and years is not necessarily going to always be there. Things unfortunately could get worse, even though I can't even imagine how we keep being surprised month by month by month going, what, what, how did that happen? But, on a lighter note, do you remember when you had your first microwave in your home? How oh, yeah. You? Oh, gosh, this was probably early 80s. I, I might have been eight years old. And I could not okay. wait to get chicken nuggets or whatever whatever the hell it was that we were going to pop in there, you know. So mine was... Um, I want to say, yeah, probably about the same time, even though I want to say more mid to later 80s, it wasn't. It was early 80s. And um, my brother, being the big brother that he was, he wanted to test everything to find out what would explode in the microwave. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So I have a list of what explodes in the microwave. And it is grapes. I knew eggs because, of course, he tried eggs. They say grapes will explode. Water explodes. I guess just a cup of water. Have you ever microwaved a cup of water that long? No. That it explodes? <laughs> no. That's... Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, like the thought of like gremlins comes to mind. 
<laughs> Do you remember that movie? Exactly. Uh, you know, but I never thought about like putting an egg in there and see how long it takes to blow up. The cleaning process would have to be a pain, wouldn't it? It would. He oh, he was always grounded, always constantly grounded. I remember one time after we got the microwave, it was um, you know maybe a year after the microwaves were really in in everybody's house. They started selling these cake mixes, and you know of course to all these stay-at-home moms at the time, they're still, you know, there's no real cake mixes or anything. They were just coming out at that time. And then they came out with this microwave cake mix. So my mother got it. It failed. It so failed miserably. It wound up being like this dried out pancake that you just couldn't even scrape out of the glass or whatever she had that she put into the microwave. And she called the company and she's like, do you know that I have four kids here and it's their birthday and they don't even have a cake? She was so mad. <laughs> but I remember I loved micro magic uh, microwavable burgers. Do you remember those? I, I, yeah. After I saw the ad for it, I'm like, yeah, I remember those. I remember those. But my parents, I don't recall them ever getting those uh, for us to eat. Um, oh. I hated the TV dinners that like, because you have to wait so long in the oven. But then when you know when you get the one the microwave, we're so excited. You put it in the microwave, you put it on whatever it calls for to, to cook, and then you can't wait to have that brownie. But that brownie is turned into a brick by the time you get it out of there, and it smells. It's like yeah. it's like, yeah, it's like it's so the the burnt odor is so powerful. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about burgers, my husband had a point about um, uh, Burger King. And he's just going off. And I'm like, can you do that again? Can I record you? Because maybe we can use it on the podcast if Cyrus will let me. Yeah, play and, it. Let's hear this. All right, I'll play it. The very end of it, we sound like two old people because we're arguing about, did you shut it off? I don't think we shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> so here he is. This is probably really stupid, but I'm getting tired if you like at Burger King used to be able to go in there and get a double bacon stacker. It was two regular size patties, some bacon cheese on a bun. Their new double bacon stacker is two half pound patties with 15 ounces of bacon, six pieces of cheese on a bun that's bigger than your hand. It's so much food. You can't even eat it. And it costs 12 freaking dollars. Just go back to a regular size meal. Uh, that's God. That's true. <laughs> anyway, we start. <laughs> we start wandering around like, how do you shut it off? I can't figure it out. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, but you know, well, I noticed that. So one of my sons, he likes the kids' meal from Burger King. I remember being a kid. Burger King was. Um, in, I think it was McDonald's and Burger King were primarily in most of the malls. So when we would go Christmas shopping, those were the two choices. And I'd be like, oh, I want to go to Burger King. So I remember that being a kid, haven't eaten there for a really long time. And then all of a sudden my son woke up one morning, even though I force fed water to these kids for their existence to try to keep them away from soda. He's like, nope, 
I want a Diet Coke and I want to go to Burger King. And I'm like, number one, you've never had a Diet Coke before and you've never been to Burger King, but okay, we'll go. So I took him there and I just ordered a burger. He's so right. These things are huge. When yeah. did that happen? At some point, I think we just like, hey, we're Americans. We deserve all this. But you know, you're right. We don't eat normal portions. Like I would think a kid size meal would be like a little small thing with maybe like 10, 10 or 12 French fries, four chicken nuggets and a small burger, right? Something small. And uh, that should be kid size. But, you know, when we go out and order plates, no wonder like if a parent doesn't watch what their kids eat, because the kids aren't going to watch. They don't, give, they don't give crap. You know, they get loaded up with sugar. They don't care about anything. But, you know, if, if a parent doesn't watch their kids, no wonder by the time half of us are 12, you know, like our asses look like 50 pounds of chewed bubble gum. It is really like terrible. You know, yeah. I mean, I've got this spare tire and I know who to blame. Like me, number one, because I should have put the fork down. But two, it's like we're so conditioned, like when we're little, like clean your plate up, finish your plate. And then we go out and we order a meal somewhere. And it's like, Jesus, man, it's uh, one meal is made for three people. It's like, and then we feel the need to clean our plate up. No wonder. No wonder. That's I got it. told people the other day, I rolled over bed the other night three times. I'm still on my back. Like I'm trying to, how do you get rid of the spare tire? It sucks. <laughs> That's such a great point. Can you imagine going back to like 1955 and sitting down at a restaurant and being served a meal or sitting down at a home and being served a meal? I, it's got to be a huge difference from yeah. what it is. Now. You know, we had such a um, influx of these restaurants that opened up in the 90s that were all family style. Right. And if they weren't family style, they like threw out all their plates and they got these huge like 13 inch dinner plates and just filled it with food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like Applebee's. You go there. It's uh it's like they give you two main course meals for the price of one. Everybody's like, well, of course I'm going to do that. It's a better deal. I'll get chicken and a, and a little small steak, right? Chicken mm-hmm. strips and a steak. It's like, who the hell eats that much? Like you just got two main courses with a shit ton of fries, right? And then whatever side you have and unlimited sweet tea, you know, just to kind of like get that diabetes really kicking in. <laughs> so, but that's the problem with all of us. Um, you know, and then by the time you hit 40, it's like you got to put grease on the side and squeeze your ass through a door frame. And that's the, the, but that is actually, I mean, these restaurants, it's, I'm glad they made a lot of money. I'm a capitalist pig, but man, they, you know, for the health of America, cut back on the portion sizes. That would solve some of the shortage issues right then if we would just get used to what's normal. But we're mm-hmm. way past that. Oh, that'd be a real fight, wouldn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine? Some poor bastard bringing your food out to your table. It's like, hey, where's the rest of it? <laughs> it's not his fault, you know. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, crazy. yeah, crazy stuff. You know what I learned when I had a house bunny, and uh, unfortunately, Mr. Buns passed away. But Mr. Buns had a little presence there, uh, quite a following actually on Facebook for a while, and um, loved popcorn. Look, this rabbit loved popcorn. And so I looked it up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, because, of course, it happens accidentally. Right. So you're sitting there with popcorn. you got a bunch of kids. They're all messy. And a kernel falls and the bunny like dives for it and eats it. So now I've got to go Google it. Is it OK? 
And it is, and they actually sell those little mini ears of corn dried. And I'm like, okay, do I just give this to the rabbit? Does he just chew on the, you know, the corn? I guess he could, but it said, put it in the microwave. Did you know you can take an ear of corn, dry it out, just let it sun dry, throw it in the microwave and it'll pop? No way. Yeah, it goes no all over the microwave. So like you've got to be ready to catch when you open it. But yeah, you just sun dry your ears of corn. Try it. Let me know how it goes. And you oh, put it in there on the popcorn ass. setting and it pops. And it's quite interesting to watch too because it's flying all over the microwave, but it sure does. It well, what happens to the cob? Does it blow up? No, nothing. Oh, wow. I, I can't wait to put it on high enough i guess yeah you'd burn everything in the microwave but you just stand there watching it pop and when it you know when you see no more popping happen you shut it off huh all right i strangely want to try that i kind of kind of do i have corn in the freezer i should maybe maybe experiment today yeah or i got it on amazon it's a rabbit treat so rabbit treat you know corn for popping and it's these little ears not the little tiny ones that you get in chinese food they're like these are small like that but maybe double that size and um yeah they come in all you know indian corn like so all different colors and things so you sent an article out to me and i looked at this it's amazing how people used to eat way back when even in the dark ages medieval england uh ireland before potatoes i feel bad for those folks though I do too, because potatoes, of course, were such a, a staple, which is why you had the potato famine. Um, and for people that don't know what that is, basically their potatoes were rancid. I believe once you um, recrop the same uh, vegetable without really properly tilling new soil into that current soil, you can get diseases. So the potatoes were all diseased and you couldn't eat them. You know, just like if you ever have a green potato, don't eat a green potato. That's poisonous. Uh, It'll make you really, really sick. So that's what had happened. They were tilling those potatoes. They were coming up all green or they just, you know, were, were already rotten in the ground and people died because they were living off the potatoes. And then I guess the other cuisine that they, when you were kind of in this article, um, the, I guess it, all of it revolved around dairy. So it says here, pity the lactose intolerant Irishman, because much of the diet, they drank milk and buttermilk, ate fresh curds and mixed whey with water to make a sour drink called bland. I can see why everything's bland, right? They right. flavored butter with onion and garlic and buried it in bogs for storage. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I could take that much dairy. That would uh, kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, that's a whole lot of dairy. But, you know, it's an island. I mean, I I guess if you don't have transportation, you don't have transportation. There are parts of Ireland where you would have to sort of trek or be on a horse for a while to get to the coast. But you're an island. I mean, can't you fish? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's like you think they would have a healthy dose of fish. I'm yeah, sure they have I mean, streams, right? They could fish in natural streams, right? 
Yeah, fly fishing is a huge thing. That's where I learned how to fly fish. I was 10 years old and my father taught me. We were, uh, I was 10 that year and it was a big anniversary for my parents or a big, I think it was anniversary, big anniversary for my parents. So we went to Ireland. That's um, one of the bonuses of being a whoopsie baby that is the baby of the family <laughs> because your parents are rocking and rolling in their highest earning years of their 40s and uh, so we you know that was a nice trip that I took with my parents but they do they have streams all over the place I just I wonder you know and these are my people so I'm not hating on the Irish because I mean I'm a good bit Irish but why wouldn't they eat fish if the potatoes were bad they had to have some wildlife on there, right? Because they have. Yeah, goats and lamb. And I mean, unless those were, they would, they would have to have. Because I was about to say, unless those were imported, which they could have been, but they would have have to have had some type of animals already yeah. on the island. Yeah, I mean, there were trade routes by then, even in the, medieval, even in the Dark Ages. Right. And that had been settled from the Romans and the Egyptians and, you know, that uh, global trade routes and even some of the Chinese. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. What fascinated me was like, how damn lucky are we here in America that we're like, you know, th there was small farms everywhere. Uh, we were called the, the breadbasket colonies because we grew crops, including wheat, barley, oats, rye and corn, but also had pumpkins, squash, beans. Uh, all kinds of wildlife. So we had like, meat every day, uh, access to fish, seafood, including uh, cod, halibut, mackerel, tuna, trout, salmon, lobsters, and mussels. And, uh, you know, not a, and game birds as well, not just deer and, you know, whatever else that, uh, that we had here. We were, man, talk about the breadbasket world. We landed in the right spot to be fat, to be, to be a fat ass in America. Like, even in the colonial times, we had three square meals a day. And, uh, and, but see, but they had a smaller portion for breakfast. Is that, if I remember reading that right? And then their dinner was like lunchtime. And that's when they would have maybe a couple of meats. And then their dinner time later on was like a snack, like breakfast was. But now yeah, we have, that's how you get like a perfect BMI. That's how yeah. we're supposed to. Eating. My mother would always say, eat like a king. Uh, how did it go? It, it's some type of rhyme that's not coming to me, but it's basically you eat like a king for breakfast and then you eat like a pauper for dinner. So you're supposed to eat the most in the morning, a little bit less midday, and then just basically a snack before yeah. you go to bed, which would be your dinner time. And we do that ass backwards. And I think, you know, mainly because so many people work, you know, everybody's working that night. Everybody's in a hurry. Yeah. To get to work yeah. and there's no breakfast unless it's like something from McDonald's. It's, that's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, I have a hard time eating fast foods these days. I just like, I try to eat fast food sometimes. My body's just like, dude, if it ain't pizza, knock it off. <laughs> like, we'll we'll mm -hmm. suffer with the pizza, but we're not going, we're not going to McDonald's for a burger, you know? Yeah, no, you wonder why you don't see too many older people in the drive through It's because our systems eventually will become intolerant to that massive high-carb, high-fat 
you get into your forties and you try to eat that high carb, high fat, you better have a bathroom pretty close. <laughs> you know? No kidding. No, I, I actually, I said something similar like that the other day. Somebody asked me, was I, I said I was going to go to McDonald's. And they're like, what for? And I'm like, I kind of want one of those big flurries because I don't have a Dairy Queen anywhere close. I haven't had ice cream in quite a while. I'm like, I'm just, it's, it's like 90 degrees. I'm going to go over there and get that. You get to get dinner over there. and like, not unless I want explosive diarrhea. No, thank you. Not, not unless <laughs> I want to die like that guy Kenny from South Park did a hundred times. Um, you talk about fast food. This one isn't exactly a fast food, but it is very prevalent in the Northeast. We're now starting to see many of these franchise stores here in the in the Atlanta area, but Carvel ice cream, right? So Carvel ice cream, their sprinkles. Why can't we buy their sprinkles anywhere? Because you go to the grocery store and you try to get like, I think it's Duncan Hines that puts out the chocolate or the rainbow sprinkles. They taste like nothingness that's waxy. Like it's just waxy and nothing. Carvel sprinkles are the bomb.com. I mean, why can't we buy those? I mean, I, well, maybe, maybe they should know about this. <laughs> maybe they should like, yeah, let's go ahead and open up a plant somewhere and hopefully it doesn't burn down. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hey, I wanted to I wanted to bring up the topic because you had a, a guest on your show this week, and she was like, I guess she's Title Nine, and uh, really brought about women's boxing. Like there was, she was she was badass. She was quite an impressive person. I didn't know what to expect. You, tell us a little bit about her and and then what uh, and about the show. Sure, sure. So the show is the Caffeinated Cooper Show. And this past Friday, we had Dallas Malloy on. And Dallas Malloy, it was 19, I think she said 1994. She was 16 years old. And of course, with the help of her parents, sued USA Boxing and won because she wanted to be a female boxer. So she was fighting for that division for women to open up. She won, and thus, this is why we have women's boxing, we have women's MMA. It really opened up such a floodgate for all the women that aspire to be in that sport to be able to compete on a professional level. And she's a multi-title winner. She's a bodybuilder with many wins behind that. She was actually the girl. If you remember uh, Jerry Maguire, and I believe it was one of the opening scenes of Jerry Maguire. And there's a young girl in the ring and she's not fighting anyone. She's there solo. She's got her fists up and she's coming at the camera. It's only for a few seconds. That is Dallas Malloy. And that was her in her teens right after she won. And she was uh, fighting uh, semi-pro at that point. And uh, yeah, she's just fantastic. She's out in Los Angeles. She's an actress. She um, produces her own music. Uh, it's quite interesting, but she has what, what I would classify as a centrist view. But of course, in today's world, in Los Angeles, she would be seen as far right, like far, far, far right, because she's standing up for women and women's sports to make sure that it's only women, biological women, in women's sports. And she's saying, listen, I, I paved the road for women in boxing. Why can't someone who's transgender pave the road for transgender athletes in their own division? Like there's nothing wrong with it. 
but you can't be a biological male competing up against a biological female, no matter if you are under hormone therapy for a certain amount of years, you're still bigger. Your muscles are longer and stronger. Your hands are bigger. Your feet are bigger. Hormones don't change that. So when you're going to grapple with a female, like there's no, that that's not even a competition. There's nothing to gain there. So she's standing up for women's sports. I'm really happy to hear in the news cycle uh, there's a um, attorney that is representing a couple of young girls for women's sports to, um, you know, try try to be able to push on that envelope a little bit of saying, listen, okay, you're transgender, you're an athlete, that's great. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but you need your own division because biology is biology. And right now, if you say biology is biology, that's like a far right opinion when really it should, in my opinion, just be a centrist view. So um, she was a great guest. It was a really interesting interview. You can view it on YouTube under the Caffeinated Cooper Show channel. We are on Amazon uh, as the Caffeinated Cooper Show. And um, Facebook, you're welcome to follow me on Facebook. I'm Elizabeth Cooper or Cooper Studios. And I appreciate you allowing me to talk a little bit about that. Thank yeah, you. it was she was she was very bold and uh, opinionated. And like you said, I, I would view that as more centrist because you know, we, we after coming out of the pandemic, everybody tries to make everything political. And we're talking about hard science here there's nothing that should be politicized about it but they're going to say it's either right wing or left wing and it's it's not really and she made a great point that she probably would get ostracized and i'll make the point like even though they think she would be far right i think and i've got friends in california and some are very liberal and some are fairly conservative actually and you know and some listen to the show and i'll just say like i, I think people and like when you get to the hollywood la People are so far left that they might as well be laying down. They just don't realize that. And you can go so far left that um, anybody else's opinion doesn't matter. You're always right. That's kind of tyrannical. And in a lot of ways, they're using Saul Alinsky tactics to force this into a political arena when it shouldn't be. And it's uh, that's very communist. Like this whole cancel culture is, is very much based in communism and anybody that goes and learns what happened during the Bolshevik revolution in Russia and how the language changed. That's when um, the phrase uh, political correctness started coming about. And if you can change the language, you can change the way people think. And they've mastered that to a T out of that area. And anybody that doesn't agree with them, well, you got to be a bigot. You got to be a racist, a homophobe, a transphobe or whatever, the whatever out there just for disagreeing. And uh, I think that's hurt their argument so bad. It's not a selling point. And we're seeing that cultural shift back toward, I think, the center. Because the way I view things, I, I know people call me conservative, but it's like, I have just kind of common sense. You know, I'm, I'm not out to take anybody's rights away, but I don't think anybody deserves special rights either. And exactly. t- Title IX was very specific when it comes to women's sports, especially in the collegiate area. And um, I'm, I'm glad to see people kind of standing up. And if you have know, transgenders want to compete, awesome. 
you know, sports are an amazing venue. But there's no, if you want to be a trailblazer, blaze a new league. Yeah, you know, in cancel culture, I asked her a question about that. I said, you know, Dallas, you're in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, for a huge majority, is what everybody knows. You know, I'm not living out there now, so possibly it has changed, but is very, very liberal, especially within the entertainment industry. Very, very liberal. And I said, you know, they could view you as hard right. And she's like, yeah. And I said, has that affected your bookings? And she's like, no. It really hasn't. I have just as many bookings now because when you listen to Dallas's music and you can find her on Spotify, iTunes, everywhere as Dallas Malloy, all of her music is political. It's very, very uh, obvious that that she has more of a a core, of course, what Los Angeles would view as far right views. So I really wanted to get that question in there. And she's like, no. And to be honest with you, I just don't care. If I didn't get as many bookings, I, I don't, I'm at a point in my life, I just don't care because I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing what I feel is right. And I'm like, great, more power to you. You know, that's exactly where you should be. And, you know, going back to 2020, I really didn't go on air uh, very often in 2020. I wasn't sure what to say. Not that I was afraid of being canceled. It was something that was on my mind. But I have a lot of comedy training for stage, for character development, comedy writing, things like that. And a lot of us, I can't totally call myself a comedian because I'm not practicing as much as I should. But a lot of the comedians that are my friends took a back seat and were like, well, what the heck? We can't say anything. And now we've had what has happened with Will Smith attacking a comedian. And, you know, Dave Chappelle was attacked on stage. Yeah. The comedians are coming out and we're like, we don't give a damn. Like, we're this is funny. We're going to continue to make funny content, put it out there. Because we just can't care about this anymore. And I think that's a great turning point. Because we're seeing, in my opinion, especially at the polls, we're seeing a huge turnaround. We're seeing, you know, some of those Republican um, right to moderate, not far right people, but right to moderate, just people putting their foot down. And even the Democrats that are Democrat to moderate, they're like, no, I'm not going with these radical views. So it's really an interesting time for the country. And it's an interesting time for entertainers like Dallas, um, shows like yours, shows like mine. And um, I'm excited for it because I really want to get back to just being real. Can, can we just be real again? Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I miss the 90s and everybody kind of got along. Yeah. And I'm glad you took the interview with her that direction because, um, it was a really great interview, just kind of the way you kind of moved through that, those topics. And the fact that she was so bold, people are attracted to that kind of courage. And I think we're starting to see that now, people who are afraid to talk. And the pandemic caused all this. I'm, I'm totally convinced. When parents who were just kind of comfortable with letting their kids go to school found out all the shit that the schools were failing for their kids, and then when they go to the school boards getting treated like domestic terrorists, Oh, you pissed off mama bear to a point in America where there is going to be a cultural change, whether you like it or not. And we're seeing that we're seeing that play out now from 
things move from far right, far left, more centrist. And it is it is about time this cancel culture thing had to die. The Me Too thing had to happen, but the whole cancel culture has to die. And and comedians, and this is kind of probably an unpopular view amongst my Republican friends, but first of all, comedians, those are the people who are saving free speech right now. People yeah. like Dave Chappelle, um, Bill Burr, um, who's the other guy, Joe Rogan, who just don't mm-hmm. give a flying F. They're standing up there and they're saving free speech for the rest of us who ought to have enough stones to stand up and do it. So comedians, God bless all of you. Go say whatever funny thing you want. The people we need to learn to laugh at are the people we look at in the mirror every day. We have to start with that. And that's very, very true. But I think um, when it comes to politically, who's going to save this country? I, I've i said this on the show, and I kind of got some flack off to the side from people about saying this. But I think the people who are going to save this country politically are Democrats. And here's why I say this. Mm-hmm. They have they what they need desperately in their party right now is what the Republicans had years ago with that Tea Party movement. When all the spending started getting so outrageous, it's like we we're burning our house down. And then they called that far right. And they kept saying what was going on with these Tea Party rallies it was horrible. Like people showing up in Nazi stuff. Well, I showed up at a couple. And I saw grandparents, parents, mm-hmm. teachers, policemen, firefighters, attorneys, you know, you name it, accountants, all these people, different age groups showing up. And I did not see any of that stuff. And when I saw somebody act like a horse's ass, I saw people asking them to leave because they weren't there to represent them. Mm-hmm. That's what I saw. But what you saw in the mainstream media was something very different. The Democrats need to have their Tea Party movement because they have allowed a far left group of radical people with radical agendas dictate where this party is going. And unfortunately, we don't have a president with enough backbone. And I think he's probably a little too old mm-hmm. to be standing up to this. So when you have when you have some uh, movement moving far left like that, that's how you get a Donald Trump. And then when you get people, you know, I mean, so if you swing back that far to the left, my worry is how far is it going to swing back to the right? That pendulum needs to stop somewhere right in that middle. And the only people that could cause that to happen is the Democrat party having their own tea party moment and kicking these radicals out of their party because the blue dog Democrats were run out by liberals a long time ago. And Mm -hmm. liberals are finding out just how much their policies don't work with this runaway inflation, because let's face it, the Democrats have all three branches of government or or two branches of government right now, you know, the legislature and the, and the house and the white house. So all that, all that agenda that's happened comes from them. You can't blame Putin for everything. Can't blame everybody else for everything. Can't blame greedy oil companies or gas stations. This has been going on. So, until they saw that and kind of get back to that blue dog Democrat, let's let's be more normal. They're the only ones that can save this because you can elect as many conservatives as you want. That pendulum is going to keep going back and forth until they stop it. I agree with you. And, you know, I think um, as far as the the far left agenda, what I'm noticing and what I'm hearing, especially from friends, um, I believe that we're going to see within, if not, you know, a next year or two, the next five years is a fall of our federal school system. Our public school system is falling and it's falling quickly 
because they're being a little too transparent of exactly what numbers are on our kids' head and what agenda they have for our kids. It's being exposed and it was exposed greatly once everyone was sent home. And now all of a sudden you're inviting all these teachers into your home because they're teaching through Zoom. So many more parents are always, always listening. And you know, it really feels as far as the parent perspective, I have a friend of mine, I'll tell you this story and then I'll explain my feeling behind it. A friend of mine has a fourth grade son. Fourth grade son goes to school in a creative writing class, tells a story about how him and his dad play pranks on each other. And one time he put fake snakes in his dad's bed. And then another time um, his dad duct taped him and put him in his closet while he was asleep. Right. So it like took a turn. It went dark really quickly. Yeah. So that alerted the teacher. The teacher then goes to the guidance counselor. The guidance counselor then goes to child services. And from this one creative writing story, which he was telling a story and nobody stopped to ask my friend's son, is this a story? Is this truth? Did this really happen? Nobody asked those questions. And the answer my girlfriend got from the school when she said, why didn't anybody ask those questions? Because what had happened was one day during the week, she gets a call from child services. Hi, this is child services. We're calling about so-and-so because we need to ask you a couple of questions. Are you safe in your home? You know, is your husband so-and-so? And they tell her the whole story. And she's like, what? No, we don't, we don't even play pranks because I, I don't like that. I don't like the whole teasing or anything. And through the conversation, the uh, social worker picked up on, you know, like, this is real, like this, this didn't really happen. So she kind of dropped it quickly. And um, my girlfriend finally said, you know what? He's been watching YouTube kids. And on YouTube kids, they show families that always prank each other, always do challenges or hide. And they got to go hide and seek on like cruise ships and things like that. And the social worker said, yeah, we've been getting a lot of calls about that. So we've been having to investigate families. And, you know, that's a very scary situation because if you have a social worker that says, "Mm, no, I don't really like this story, I'm going to investigate. What they first do is they remove all the kids and then the investigation continues. And that is a huge, huge problem. But when she, when my girlfriend asked, why didn't anybody ask those questions? You heard a crazy story in a creative writing class from a nine-year-old and nobody asked like, well, is this real? Is this not? Is this something you want to put in your story? And the answer was because the school can't get involved because we can be held legally liable. So we have to call child services. Anytime we hear something that's a little out there, we have to call child services. And I'm like, really? Really? Wow. Okay. So now schools don't feel safe to me at all. So now what am I going to do? Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine what would happen in Stephen King's household? He was a kid. Holy. <laughs> oh my God. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, but that's, that's a terrible, 
thing to to do. I just, and that just boggles my mind. But yeah, I mean, we've seen how schools have failed. Yeah, and you're probably going to be right. Within five, ten years, public schools are going to be either radically changed or going the way of the dodo bird. And yeah. um, and people, especially on the left, for whatever reason, have been fighting against school vouchers for the longest time. And I had a different perspective on that. And uh, yeah, I, I think anybody who's opposed to school vouchers, that's kind of a racist thing. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want a kid from an inner city not being able to, mother not be able to choose where their kid goes? Right. They want a better education. You're hurting minorities. That's kind of racist. So why would you oppose that? But yet it's a political issue. And, and you know, one side is always calling the other side racist. But I always felt like that was and just kind of getting back and getting away from the politics. That in and of itself was kind of a racist policy not to allow vouchers. Because how many of those kids, you know, from getting out of those public schools could go to some other schools, maybe have a better creative writing teacher, <laughs> you know, that's a little smarter that would ask some questions um, yeah. instead of upsetting yeah. homes. That's a huge rabbit hole that you could probably go down and do a whole nother show on it. But, um, you know, I mean, if you think about it, if you disallow vouchers, so then you still keep the kids in the federal system, they have to be taught a certain curricula. You know, we've seen a lot of stuff out of Loudoun County in Virginia. Yeah. And there, um, there was a book that was released, which was the sexual education book for 10 year olds that has graphic pictures in it of different sexual positions of what you can do and how you do it and why you do it. And it, you know, it of course enraged many, many parents, but that would be why you'd want to disallow vouchers. And I've got to tell you around here, I noticed it when I was in the car with my husband the other day and I looked over every single church, we were going down like a main street of a town, every single church, has signs out in front saying space is available, check in for tuition for school Mm -hmm. here and for school here. There's private and church schools popping up on every corner. Yeah. And and it's going to keep happening. I mean, just because it's a church school doesn't mean you have to, you know, have, you know, your religion in every class. But yeah, a friend of mine growing up, uh, I don't say his last name, his name is Samuel. And his father was a minister. And Samuel, he went to uh, the school there at the church. Because uh, it had, when Sam went to take his SATs, and I, you know, and he, he blew away the like public school kids' number. Like it was off the charts how much more educated this guy was and how much more of a free thinker he was than any of us coming out of the public school system. That's why one of my mo- favorite movies to this day is uh, Dead Poet Society. Teaching people to be free thinkers, you know, and not regurgitate whatever you're told. And that's unfortunate, I think, where a lot of schools are. And then, you know, ha- why would you have a book like that for 10-year-olds? I, exactly. It's like you're you doing 10-year-old what? things. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the story went on, you know, if if you were to research it, which I know you're very much like me, so you probably will. As you go down that rabbit hole, uh, come to find out there are several different states and several different cities that will fund uh, reassignment surgery and starting of um, uh, the blockers, the, um, you know, yeah, so that you don't blockers. puberty blockers, yeah. they fund that. And it is facilitated by the school 
the law has been written in those areas to where the parents can't stop it. So if you have a 13 year old kid that wants to start the puberty blockers or even younger in those certain areas in the United States, parents can't intervene, they can't stop it. And it has been fought in court many, many times and it loses every time. Um, so it's a huge issue. It really, really is. Um, so that's what I think we're going to see. I think it's going to be sooner rather than later that people are just going to be, you know, getting away from the public schools. I have a girlfriend down the street and I watch her through the school season. I'm like, God, what does she do? Just drive all day long. She has four boys and all four boys are going to different schools. Um, you know, some of the private schools, you have to start either kindergarten, rising into kindergarten, rising into sixth grade or rising freshman. So if you have one in between, it's kind of like you got to ride the wave out. But yeah, it's it's just uh, something that I used to regard so highly, but it has become a conveyor belt. These kids are on a conveyor belt. They get pushed forward. They get taught how to test take all the different test taking skills. They throw a bunch of um, state and federal mandated tests in front of them, fill in the little bubble with your number two pencil and boom, you graduate. And it's just a conveyor belt and it's sad. Yeah, now my sister is a public school teacher and she teaches learning disabled kids. She's been in the system so you know long enough that it absolutely frustrates her. And she's like, she's, she just says to me like, these kids, we teach them how to take the test but we don't teach them how to learn. And that is the worst thing. And here we are after the pandemic, we realize we've, we've failed an entire generation of children in this country. Yeah. And, and I don't want to throw school teachers under the bus because I know they work hard and they have state mandates to tell them what to do because I know several school teachers and there's not many of them. I know that like the way the system was run. Um, I don't know what they would do different, but um, I'm, I'm glad they're there. I'm glad they're trying to help, but, I think those teachers probably need to be more vocal against the system once they're tenured so they can't get booted out. You know what I mean? Because uh, young, young, it's, it's a discouragement for young teachers. And, and I'm going to brag about this. My niece, my, my beautiful niece, right, that uh, I told you she lost her mother about a year and a half ago. And her mother was a school teacher. She, she taught. So my niece gets her first job. She's at Liberty and going through grad school. Gets her first job. Guess what she's doing? What? School teaching. Really? Pre-K, yeah. She's, she starts off at this private school, right? So it's not public education, private school. Uh, Liberty University runs it, so Liberty uh, public, uh, Liberty Schools. And uh, pre-K, and the sweetest thing was, I talked to her yesterday, and I was like, all right, tell me about your first two days. She was so excited telling about all these kids. And I was like, man, I kind of remember when my sisters started, and they would tell me, I called to ask her how their first day was. And I said, she sounds just like them. So my sister, Melinda, she always had this lanyard. She kept her uh, her ID on, you know, to get to school. So Nicole has that, and she put her uh, her name on my sister's lanyard to go in and teach. So I thought, man, what a sweet, sweet moment. I'm so proud of that girl. So, yeah, proud uncle moment. But, yeah, she's doing great. So that was that was awesome. So maybe maybe there's hope for the future, you know. For, I think the future will be better, but um, we, we have to believe in some of these kids, too. I, that is such a sweet story. I'm glad that you shared that. But um, I agree with you, you know, going back to the pendulum, the pendulum is swinging. And, it, it, you know, I have that concern as well. The pendulum has swung way, way, way radical 
uh, towards the Democrat, radical Democrat side, I really don't want to see it swing way radical Republican. You know, we have created a normalcy for some people that needed that normalcy for people that are homosexual, for people, you know, that that do things that I don't do, but that's fine. Like, go live your life. Go, go be you. If you've got to do that, go do it. So I fear that if the pendulum swings all the way back hard right, now all of a sudden you have an uprising because they don't have a place, you know? Yeah. So we need more God in our society. We need more of those foundational conservative views, in my opinion, because we are so far left, but we don't need to exclude anyone either. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I started reading my Bible again from like Genesis on through, right? So I've never read it all the way through from start to finish. So I started doing this. There's a friend of mine who's a pastor. He said, that's the best way to read it. Just read it. Learn the story, everything in context. He said, a lot of it is brutal. And so I started reading it. But, you know, when you get to the New Testament, you know, you're supposed to love each other if you love yourselves. And, you know, I may not like somebody's lifestyle. Somebody sure as hell may not like mine either, you know, and that's okay. We, you know, just because you don't agree politically, like people on the far left, on the far right, you don't have to hate your enemy. They're not your enemy. We're all in this boat together. And we're all looking around like 80% of us that are in the middle. It's like, hey, you guys over here, stop shooting holes in the bottom of the boat because we're trying to bail the water out. You know, and that's exactly what they're doing. And, uh, you know, at, at some point, you know, I like to think our best days are ahead of us. Um, some of these kids are smarter. We give them credit for they know they've been a lost generation. They're going to be pissed, but they're going to grow up and maybe they'll be tougher than we were. I think so. I, I think financially things also need to swing around so that we are able to, as a society, society is able to give those, the generation that our children today, young mm-hmm. teens today, the opportunity to, if they wish, have a stay-at-home parent to be able to have that opportunity again. And that is the scariest point that I think about often, you know, when I became a mother in the year 2001, that opportunity still existed. It was rough. We pinched our pennies. We lived not palatially, but we lived just fine. Um, And I was able to stay at home with my little girls. And I'm glad that I did because there is a huge difference. And with your sister being a school teacher, now your niece is a school teacher. And I've been around so many kids, I can't even put a count on it between being a volunteer, being in the PTA, being a mom myself. Um, There's a distinct difference, especially once you get to third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, and so on. Those kids, that have two working parents that travel all the time and spend very, very, very little time with their own biological child. Those children suffer. They act out. They are more likely to be addicted young to drinking, smoking drugs. They're going to be incarcerated before they're 18. It is a proven fact of that. And I think it's, you know, we need to figure this out as a society financially. How can we 
make life sustainable for those that want to have a stay-at-home parent. Yeah, and yeah, we need to figure that out definitely. And um, and I don't want to want, like go off into on a tangent on what just happened this week with Roe, but um, we are going to have to solve a problem of some states where somebody may have had an abortion that may not have the opportunity to now um, without traveling a long distance. That uh, we we need to somehow embolden mothers, especially that may be single mothers that um, how do we get them in a workforce and how do we have daycare for those children until public school starts? Um, so that that's going to have to be something that's going to have to be figured out. And, and it doesn't have to be done necessarily at the federal level because everybody always freaks out. It's like, you know, abortion is not illegal today, no matter what happened in Roe. It just goes back to the states. So there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of a lot of um, people angry thinking, you know, it just means you're going to have to get more active in your legislature and mm-hmm. and um, let your states. I mean, there's 50 states may come up with 50 different ways to solve this problem that will that will happen at some point in the relatively near future. We need to start solving that, especially young unwed mothers. How do we educate them? How do they get mm-hmm. a better education? It's not it's not teach them how to take a test. It's teach them skills, it's find out what they're good at and and you know foster that and have funding available for something like that so I, instead of sending i hate to say it this way because everybody's so um you know concerned about ukraine but instead of sending 40 billion dollars every time we turn around to ukraine 40 billion dollars would solve that problem right here oh i know real quick real, yeah. and that's what's so devastating every time i hear that um, you know, it would solve so many problems real quick. I mean, especially in your region, so many other regions, you know, you've got uh, spots of Arizona, New Mexico, but also West Virginia, Virginia, um, so many areas where we really have a, I mean, destitute, barefoot, dirt road poverty situation going on in this country that shouldn't be going on because we offshore so much ridiculous amounts of money. It's, it's yeah. just sickening every time I hear about it. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't help our allies. We absolutely should help our allies. But could we possibly focus on, you know, just like what you've said, we've had some financial conversations before, pay yourself first yeah. before you pay somebody else? Like, could we possibly get somebody in office that understands that to pay ourselves first? And then we say, hey, yeah, we can help here. You're my friend. We'll help over there. Yeah, Japan. Like, when yeah. is that going to happen? <laughs> yeah, because no other country is sending us money to help no. solve our problems. And, you know, if even, even like over the last 20, 30 years, all these community colleges that are out there, single mothers who can't afford to go, they have to go to night school. And of course, a lot of it, you get Pell Grants to go for free. But the reason it keeps a lot of single mothers from doing that is, well, they don't have daycare. They're trying to work during the day, go to school at night to learn something, to do something better for their child and no daycare. Why is there not a nonprofit set up near every community college where parents can drop their kids off? Right. Right next door, even at night. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, have it closed down, you know, when the, why are those things not available? I have no idea. And, you know, when I was, 
uh, I spent a few years in community college and my community college, and this was late nineties. So this was right when all the dot coms were coming about. Um, they did, they, they had a day and night, nur not nursery school. It was a daycare. So it wasn't a nursery school, it was daycare. Um, and they did have that available. It was free to any enrolled student. And I'm like, that's a great program. And then all of a sudden, all these dot coms, they get up and running. So it's sort of like I do have a very positive, hopeful perspective that if we do have a boom, just like we had the dot com boom, and granted, it was only for a couple of years, right? But a lot of those companies, they, I mean, they were taking self-care. They had self-care rooms made of been like, you yeah. know, billiards or pong tables or nap rooms. Those existed. Go take a nap, guys. This is your nap time during your nine to five. That happened when you were working for dot coms in yeah. 1999 and 2000 um, before the dot bust happened. But I'm hopeful that if we have, you know, maybe if it's an energy sector, something big has another boom, then maybe there will be some extra revenue to get back to that, to get back to some of those companies that are hopefully more sustainable than the dot coms were at that time, um, to be able to offer some of those things to their employees to have on-site uh, nursery schools and things. Of all those companies that failed, who would have thought that the big innovation they would have brought about was the way you treat your employees. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, having those things available, it'd be great, you know, but uh, yeah, at some point we're going to, the solutions are there. I think that people just need to get over the fact like, Hey, this is not a Republican or this is not a Democrat. Stop calling it left, right. And just have a solution. And you never know if it's going to work to try it. So don't be afraid to try. Cause I mean, you know, how many times did uh, Franklin, failed to vent electricity right so many times like you it's worth getting failing a dozen times to get it right and exactly. uh, people just need to understand that let the states take care of it that's what they're there for mm -hmm. so it's been a fascinating conversation we've went everywhere with this today this is great i know <laughs> i know I did, I, but uh, but anyway i hope the folks that are listening uh, on the show uh like the topic um feel free and weigh in with your thoughts you know, as long as you don't say anything insulting about my heritage, email me at cyrus.alderwood at gmail.com. Share your thoughts and uh, may read them on the show sometime. But uh, yeah, very, very entertaining stuff. Yeah, but, this has been awesome. Thank you. We came on, we were talking about food, and then all of a sudden we're talking about schools and <laughs> nap rooms in big companies. <laughs> Man, I tell you what, these, these uh, talk shows on the radio got nothing on us now, do they? We're, we're no, going everywhere. No. We're going everywhere. But um, no. But so, what's next on the Cooper Show? Uh, any any shows planned coming up? Uh, there are some shows in in the works. We, you know, I, I think the summertime having like a lackadaisical summertime schedule works well because everybody's on that sort of vacation mode. So yeah, we do have a couple of new guests coming up, but they're not. Uh, set to a certain date. So I don't want to say who they are just yet. But yet again, we're taking another week off and then we'll be broadcasting the following week. So can you believe that is the first weekend in July? I know. I know. And then I think after July 4th, I'll be heading to Frankfurt to work there for probably a, a week and then getting back here and then uh, maybe maybe going up to Cincinnati for a day up there. Um, nice. 
So we'll, we'll see. Well, part of that's I have to go to the IRS office. <laughs> so I don't know how nice that is. Um, <laughs> no, actually, well, we're, when the company first started, we changed our name um, because of a uh, trademark issue. I didn't know we ran into. So we had to change the name real quick. So uh, we keep sending the letter and the forms to the IRS. They have yet to officially change our name to the IRS, even though we've done it everywhere else, the state level and all that we need to do. I just want to get my bank account name changed to the correct <laughs> name. They won't do it until the IRS sends a letter. It's like, guys, I know you're behind schedule, but come on, a year and a half or a year. Come on, it's been a year. You know, that's a really common thing. So one of the companies we own is a split network. Uh, it's for recruiting. It's called First Interview. And uh, that's a really common thing because for my duties with that family company, I run the office. I do, I do all of the financials and things like that. So um, yeah, you know, I'll get a check in and I'm looking at the check because we do have some people that still mail in checks. So <laughs> I'm looking at the check and it, it says a version of their name, but then they're registered on our website as a different name. And I wind up calling them and they're the same story. They're like, yeah, you know, we had a partner that split off. So we sort of changed it a little bit. We tweaked the name and, you know, we're still waiting on the actual acknowledgement. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to call Monday and hold as long as I can and then see if they'll give me an appointment. And then while I'm up in Frankfurt, I mean, it's not too far to Cincinnati, an hour and 10 minutes. Um, and maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll go to the Hofbrau house while I'm there and have some schnitzel. So <laughs> I got to go have a schnitzel. Um, but we'll see. But uh, anyway, I hope it, I hope it's a good week for everybody. And uh, But I appreciate everybody tuning into the show. Elizabeth, let's do this again. Even if we go off in the weeds, it's always fun. Yeah, show. let's do it. Let's go off in the weeds. This is fun. I know. I know. And I probably, listeners probably like it more than I know anyway. I, I don't know. They'll let me know. If nobody listens, I guess they'll, I'll know. But uh, but thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Elizabeth, thanks for coming on. And uh, you're always welcome back. We'll do this again soon. And, yes, uh, thank you for having me. All right. Cheers, everyone. I'll be back soon, I hope.